0: Thank you for listening to the Calvary Monterey podcast. Please visit calvary.com to learn more about our church. And visit nateholdridge.com for additional Bible teaching from our lead pastor, Nate Holdridge. Teaching today is our assistant pastor, Matt Keeler. Well, welcome, Calvary Monterey. It is so good to have you with us today. My name is Matt. I'm one of the pastors here, and I get the privilege of sharing God's word. So if you want to turn in your Bibles to the book of Jude, the second to the last book in the Bible, it's one chapter, but man, it is packed full of some really great stuff. And uh, for our time today, we're going to look at the last six verses. So Jude, verse 20 through twenty. 5. And I'm going to read that and then we'll pray and then see what the Lord wants to say to us today. Jude writes and he says, "But you, beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life, and have mercy on those who doubt. Save others by snatching them out of the fire in order to show mercy with fear." Uh, hating even the garment stained by the flesh. Now to him who was able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy to the only God, our savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. Pray with me, would you? God, thank you so much for your word. And thank you, God, for these verses that, Lord, stoke our hearts. And fan the, fan the flame, Lord, of our love for you. And we pray that, God, you would do just that today as a result of our time studying your word. So Holy Spirit, speak to us now. We're ready to hear, we're ready to receive what it is that you want to share. We thank you in Jesus' name, amen. Well, late March of this year, actor John Krasinski had an idea to host a web series of videos that would highlight some of the good things that were happening around the globe, and he called it Some Good News, or SGN. I'm sure many of you uh, watched this. The web series was a huge hit. Uh, in fact, it lasted about eight episodes and then was sold to Viacom Company for an undisclosed amount, which just means a lot of money. My wife and I watched a few episodes, and, and there was something refreshing about Uh, John Krasinski's approach to sharing these inspiring stories of people doing things to help people during our pandemic. And you'd watch some of these stories and really feel good after watching them. And uh, the web series for me was a bright spot in 2020, you know, along with uh, Mandalorian season two, of course. But (laughs) what it reminded me of is the story that each of us have been invited to take part in. And you probably saw this coming. I say some good news, and you know I'm going to talk about the good news of the gospel. Well, you are right. You see, the good news that we have is a, is a declaration, is an announcement that God has rescued us, and he has brought us into his family. And the good news of the gospel says that we get to join God's story, a story that continues A story that isn't canceled, a story that never stops, and a story that radically shapes our lives and our community. And so that's what I want to talk about today is this good news. And I believe in our passage, Jude is going to give us some encouragements on how we can live in light of the good news of the gospel. But what is the gospel Before we get into our verses, I I think Jude opens up with just a beautiful description of the gospel in verse one. So look with me at the beginning of his letter. He says, Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James, to those who are called, beloved in God, the father and kept for Jesus Christ. You see, the gospel is the good news of what God has done to rescue us from our sin and give us a new identity. It's the announcement of God and what he has done in Christ for us. But those three words that Jude mentions, I think are a beautiful way to sum up the gospel. That first word that he says uh, in the middle of verse one is the word called. This is a word that describes for us what happens when we give our lives to Christ. We have a different aim and purpose for our life than we did before coming to him. We no longer have to settle for living for ourselves. We get to live lives with purpose and meaning and significance because we're living for someone and something greater than ourselves, our creator God. To be called means that our lives take on that new meaning. I remember before I was married to my wife, Bree, um, and we weren't even dating yet. She, uh, we had struck up a friendship and she had uh, left for Bible college and uh, it was after her fall semester. I knew she was coming back into town, but I didn't know exactly the timing of it. And I remember getting a call on my phone, my old Nokia cell phone. And I remember seeing her number on that phone. And man, my heart just kind of skipped a beat, you know, because I thought, Bree's calling me. Now, I had been, get, you know, called many times before that, um, you know, not, not saying, like, you know what I mean. I had gotten a lot of phone calls, <laughs> but there was something different about this phone call. It was because of the person calling. There was something significant about it because she was calling me. And I remember just thinking, oh boy, this, this could be the one. And uh, I remember, you know, testing out. I don't know if any of you did this you know, or, or do this. Um, I don't necessarily advise it. It's kind of embarrassing, but I remember, you know, clearing my throat and doing like a pre-hello before I actually said hello. It is embarrassing. I shouldn't have said that, but... I remember doing that, and, it, and then, yeah, you know, the rest is history, as they say, but, you know, it matters who's calling you. There's a lot of different things, and a lot of different things you could be called to. You know, some of you, you're, you're, you're called into a vocation. You're called into a season of life, and in relationships, and your family, but, you know, it matters who is calling. The significance of your calling depends on who's calling you, and the truth of the gospel is that God, our creator, our heavenly father, has called us. But the second word that, that describes really what we mean by the gospel is the word beloved in God, the father. You know, this speaks to our belonging to the family of God, speaks to the fact that we're accepted, adopted as his daughters and sons, given rights and privileges of his children. You can't undo your sonship or daughtership. He's brought you in, he's reconciled you, he's reunited you to himself. Now, with much of us, you know, much of 2020 just being different, and many of us working from home, we've all become pros of virtual meetings, right? And, you know, the Zoom, and, you know, I'll uh, I'll be going into a Zoom meeting, and I'll I'll just let my family know, like, hey, I'm going to be in a Zoom meeting, and, um, you know, Pastor Jeff needs some mentorship, and so I'm going to, you know, kind (laughs) of once again be mentoring Jeff, but, um, you know, I'll say, hey, you know, to my kids, if you need me, you're welcome to come in and interrupt me, and so they know that, and so, you know, I'm in a meeting, and if you've been in a Zoom meeting with me, you know that that's possible to ha- have happened, where, you know, Cannon or crew will cruise in and want to wave and say hi. And, um, you know, there's a special privilege that they have as my kids and, and a special access they have to me. And I, I don't go around our neighborhood and, you know, I don't see the neighbor kids and go, hey, I'm Zooming tomorrow. If you need me, just knock on the door. I'll be right there because my kids have a special access. And that's the idea of being brought into the family of God. We have special access, a unique relationship to the Father. That's the part of being the gospel. That's a part of being in the gospel. The good news is that you and I can come to him freely, boldly to his throne of grace. And that last word there is the word kept, kept for Jesus Christ. To me, this speaks to the fact that the gospel gives us deep security and stability in a shaky world because our identity is not built on the shifting sand of people's opinions or our achievements or our accolades. Our identity is built on the finished work of Christ, his death and resurrection. We're going to talk about more of the keeping power of God later in our passage. But these three words kind of frame in for us what we know the gospel to be, that we are people that are called, beloved by the Father, and kept for Jesus Christ. Now, Jude's going to go on and share why he wrote this letter in verse 3. He says, Beloved, although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to contend, appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. Now, it sounds like Jude was so stoked and excited to just riff on the gospel with them, just talk about the goodness and the riches of the glory of the gospel. But he gets word that there are those certain believers inside the church that are opposing the true gospel and attempting to bring a false gospel that would call into question Jesus' authority and lordship in their life and would also attempt to use grace as a cover and license for sin. So Jude says, man, I, I'm not gonna do that. I'd love that letter if we, if we had access to that letter. But what he ends up doing is he spends the majority of his letter encouraging them to contend for the faith, to defend the faith against, un, uh, against false teaching and false doctrine. I'll let you read the rest of the letter on your own. But for our time, I want us to scoot down to verse 20 and pick up our passage because I believe it's here that, that Jude shows us, now that you're contending for the gospel, live in light of it. How should it impact your life? Because as believers, we think the good news is not just good news for um, our conversion, coming to Christ, but it's good news today. It's not just the ABCs that get us in the door of Christianity. It's the A to Z to live our entire lives in light of the gospel. And I believe that Jude's gonna encourage us to allow the gospel to impact us in these three ways, our inward life, our outward life, and our upward life. So that's the classic pastor three-point sermon right there, but that's what it is. I'm gonna let you know. It's inward, outward, and upward. So let's jump in to verse 20 as we look at Paul's encouragement to us to live in light of the gospel in our inward lives. He says, but you, beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit. The word Jude uses for building here is a word that means to build upon a foundation that's already been built. You see, here's the good news, friends. We aren't trying to build our own foundation. In Christ, we get to build upon the foundation of the chief cornerstone, who is Jesus. We looked last week with Nate as he was leading us through Mark, how Jesus himself declared himself to be that rock, to be that cornerstone that we get to build our lives on. Now, this is beautiful because even Jude's language is, now that you have that foundation, continue. It's kind of this idea that we never slow down in our building. We never get tired of that. We never grow complacent in our walk. We continue to build upon that foundation. The gospel provides that foundation that we're to stand upon. But notice also Jude goes on and he says, building yourselves up. Now, I love this communal language here because this isn't, You know, Jude saying, hey, you know, now that you're saved, you know, just kind of go off and live on your own. In fact, the New Testament writers have no concept of a solo Christianity. You see, Christianity was birthed as a movement of people, a community of believers coming together, sharing life together, sharing the, the most glorious thing together. They've been transformed by the Son of God. And sometimes I wonder if in our attempts to highlight maybe the personal relationship that we have with God, which is a beautiful thing about our faith, maybe we often too often downplay the reality that we are also brought into a family of believers. You are brought into the family, the covenant family, the community of believers that are following Christ together, and it's Jesus that unites us all. Our differences uh, aren't the main thing that define us anymore. The things that make us distinct, these things aren't unimportant. In fact, we know in heaven we're going to be able to praise God around the throne room, and there's going to be every tribe, tongue and nation represented. So it's not that he makes us all act like each other or look like each other. In fact, our differences complement and create a beautiful tapestry of the body. But what it means is that we each have a stake in each other's lives because we are brothers and sisters. So I have a stake in your Christian life and your discipleship to Jesus, and you have a stake in my Christianity and the way that I'm choosing to live out my Christian life. Someone's defined discipleship this way. Discipleship is leading others to increasingly submit all of life to the empowering presence and lordship of Jesus. You see, this is our chief responsibility as followers of Christ. This is what we're literally told to do in the Great Commission, to go and to make disciples. And this is why at Calvary, we place such an emphasis on things like life groups, because life groups are a place where you can get to know others in just the average and everyday stuff of life where we can take what we know and what, what's been shared, you know, through the word and, and through our time together on Sundays, and we can seek to apply it to our lives. It's in those moments of the everyday stuff of life, whether it's marriage or relationships or friendships or vocation or parenting or whatever it may be, that's where we get to bring the gospel to bear on our hearts and minds. We also look forward to other groups of people meeting and, and, and forming groups that would, would lead to deeper discipleship. I've been meeting with a group of brothers for the last month or so, which we're calling a, a discipleship group, which we come together and we just study the same passage of scripture. We encourage each other through sharing what's going on in our lives, keeping, keeping one another accountable, praying for one another. And this is something that's been so edifying to me. And, and I encourage you to seek out relationships like this where you can mutually run the race together with someone, to disciple someone, to be discipled yourself. If you need more information about that, or you'd like to seek out that kind of relationship or that kind of group, talk to me, email me. I'd love to share with you some ways that you could do that. But Jude is saying, we're building ourselves up. Guys, let's do this. Let's not slow down. And notice he says these words, our most holy faith. Now, what is the most holy faith that Jude's speaking of? Well, remember in verse three, he told us what the most holy faith is. He said, he said, it's the faith that was once for all entrusted to the saints. It's that good time religion, that old good time religion, right? In the best sense of the term. It seems that Jude is encouraging the believers to hold fast to that same gospel that was passed down to them from Jesus and the apostles. The gospel once for all entrusted to the saints. Friends, it's a gospel that does not need to be improved upon. It's a gospel that doesn't need a new definition There were those that were attempting to redefine the gospel in order to justify their lifestyle choices. Friends, we don't need a fresh definition of the gospel as it's been said. We need a fresh demonstration of the gospel in our lives. Imagine our church living out the gospel and what that can do to our community, what that can do to our relationships. If we were to look and say, man, let's build ourselves up on this most holy faith. Of course, what this is gonna include is doing life together, but it's gonna be centering our lives around the story of God, around the gospel, around the scriptures, engrossing us in the scriptures together where we can get to know the God of the Bible, who he is, what he's done, who we are in light of what he's done and how then we should live. In fact, I, I think even... Looking at that is a great blueprint for how to approach the Bible and the way that you study the scriptures. In fact, I like that blueprint so much this week in our life group discussion. We're going to ask four questions about this text. And the four questions we're going to ask we've used these before in past seasons, but we're going to ask who is God? What has he done? Who are we in light of that work? And how should we live in light of who we are? And so I encourage you, as you study this passage more and gear up for this week of discussion in life group, ask yourself these questions and and start to study that. And then use this even as a framework to approach your own personal study in the scriptures. Okay, let's go on. Jude says, praying in the Holy Spirit. So we're building ourselves up in our most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit. What does it mean to pray in the Holy Spirit? Well, this doesn't so much mean praying in tongues although that 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 is great and that is wonderful instead Jude's encouraging us to pray according to the leading of God's spirit. Many of our prayers can be driven by our own needs, desires, intellect and perspective. Praying in the Holy Spirit is inviting God to direct how we pray. In those moments we don't know how to pray. We can trust that the Spirit does. In fact, we know from Romans 8.26, it says, likewise, the Spirit also helps in our weaknesses. Isn't this good news? For we do not know what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself makes intercession for us. So praying in the Holy Spirit means praying in such a way that we give time and space to God's leading in our lives. I don't know if you've experienced this kind of prayer before in your own life, and it may be the toughest admonition that Jude gives us in this section of scripture, because frankly, we're just really bad at being quiet and still. Uh, I'll speak for myself. I'm really bad at being quiet and still. I don't know how you're doing. But like Pastor Nate shared a couple weeks ago, I think we've all lost the art of being bored. And, and the main reason and main threat to that is these little devices of distraction that we carry in our pockets known as our phones, right? I feel like we could use just that weekly reminder, like, I need to separate more and more from my phone. So let this be your weekly reminder. But you know what? I think in order to do what Jude is encouraging us to do, to pray in the Holy Spirit, we are just gonna have to grow in separating ourselves from distraction, finding those intentional times where we could go away and be quiet and still before the Lord. Last week, Pastor Nate mentioned the spiritual disciplines in his teaching. And he talked about, the practices that God gives us by his grace to shape us and form us. And, you know, he listed a few scripture reading, prayer, fasting, generosity, and he mentioned solitude among the list. And I believe the type of prayer that Jude's describing is possible, maybe only possible when we really practice the discipline of solitude in our personal lives. Let me explain what that is. Solitude is spending time away from people. Some of you are like, oh, sign me up, this is great. It's different though than just not being around people. Effective solitude is intentional time spent alone with ourselves and with God. Dallas Willard has this to say about solitude. When we go into solitude and silence, we stop making demands on God. It is enough that God is God and we are his. We learn we have a soul, that God is here. Knowledge of God progressively replaces the rabid busyness and self-importance that drives most human beings, including the religious ones. You see, I think this is something we we can grow in together. I believe if each of us could intentionally set aside time and space to pray in the Holy Spirit, to allow the Holy Spirit to guide our prayer time, man, we will see God do some really cool things. Depending on your season of life, you may have to get really creative with this. You know, if, if you have more time and more space in your life, and you know, maybe it won't be as hard, but I think... You know, if you find yourself uh, in a season like my wife and I are in where we've got young kids, um, there's not a lot of spaces in the house to find silence or solitude, right? And so maybe it's for a season going on a prayer walk and maybe having your husband or your wife, you know, watch the kids for a time and, uh, and then going and just intentionally setting aside that time. Maybe for some of you that are working 60 plus hours a week and Maybe it's just looking at your 10 minute commute or 15 minute commute and just instead of turning on the radio or a podcast, just going, I'm gonna just be silent before the Lord and allow the Holy Spirit to speak. Sometimes I feel like we're really busy talking when God's just wanting us to listen and he's just wanting us to be still. The key is to be intentional. If we aren't, I can be sure, at least I know I can be sure, my phone's gonna be happy to fill any extra space or time that I have. So number three, in this section of looking at our inward life, he goes on and he says, keeping yourselves in the love of God. Keeping yourselves in the love of God. Now, now this is an interesting statement by Jude because we read this and we go, wait a second, I, I thought God's love for me is unconditional. What do I need to do to keep myself in God's love? No, that is true. In fact, Jude's not telling us that our efforts earn the love of God in our lives. That would contradict a multitude of Bible passages that describe God's love being given without warrant and without earning. So what does Jude mean to communicate here? Well, how can we keep ourselves in the love of God? It means to remain in a constant sense of awe and gratitude of God's incredible love for you. You know, I don't know if you've ever been talking to someone and you could tell that um, maybe they didn't really hear you or, um, you know, what you're saying didn't necessarily register. And maybe, you know, they said, oh, I'm really sorry. I've got something else occupying my mind. You know, I think that's a, an interesting phrase. And I think to keep ourselves in the love of God means to be constantly allowing his love to occupy our minds and our hearts. It's just in there. It's just always there. It's just always ruminating. We're just kind of chilling and we're dwelling in the fact that, man, we are incredibly loved by the God of the universe to the point where his love becomes our motivation for our obedience to him. And that's what this admonition is saying Because the longer we follow Jesus, the easier it is to forget to serve, obey, and follow him out of a motivation of love, his love for us and our love for him in return. This is what happened to the church of Ephesus. If you recall in Revelation chapter two, they had everything dialed in for them. They were doing so good and there was so much praise and encouragement that Jesus gave them. But he said, there's one thing, one thing I have to say, you've left your first love. You've left your first love. And so for us, it's remembering the tendency that we may have to to just get away from that simple yet so important and profound truth. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Jesus put it this way in John 15, nine through 10. He says, "As as the father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love just as I have kept my father's commands and remain in his love. I love that, remain in my love. That's what this means, keeping ourselves in the love of God. Spurgeon described this as being in the safety of his love. Isn't that beautiful? In the safety of his love. There's no better place to be in than occupying our heart and our mind with the love of God so that we may delight in him and we may allow that to affect the way that we live our lives. And friends, his love is not a shallow sentiment. It's not the love of our culture or the latest romantic movie or series. It's a fierce love. Here's that song by the band Leland. Um, The song is called, I Wonder. And this song has been so impactful to me. And the chorus says this, Jesus Christ, you bled your love, laid down yourself and gave me life. In naked shame, you hung and you were lifted high. Here I lay in awe and wonder. And then this line gets me every time. I am afraid for no one's ever sacrificed and loved me this way. So on my face, I fall under your heavy grace. Here I lay in awe and wonder. I think that's what it means to be captivated by the love of God. There's almost something scary about it. (laughs) Like he would love me this much. He knows me better than anyone else. And yet he loves me more than anyone else. Let's just dwell in that love. Let's keep ourselves in that love. Waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. This is the last encouragement he gives us about our inward life. He's saying, Jesus is coming back. Look forward to his return and live in light of his return. The gospel tells us that when Jesus came, he defeated evil through his death and resurrection. But it also tells us that one day he will return to eradicate evil. And friends, this is good news because one day he will right every wrong. He will make all things new. This is good news, especially for us as we live in a broken world and we see the world's brokenness all around us. We may grow discouraged, wondering, Lord, what is happening? We see injustice, we see wickedness, we see people being used and abandoned, but God does see and he does care. So much so that one day he will put an end to evil and wickedness. And until he returns, he calls us to join in his mission that he's given us, the the mission to reconcile others to him, as 2 Corinthians 5, 19 says. So heaven and looking forward to his return is not just going, all right, one day I'm gonna get out of this place, but it's knowing that God, you are gonna come and you are gonna right the wrongs. But in the meantime, Lord, I wanna be about your business. I don't want heaven just to be a destination. I want it to be a motivation, to keep seeking hard after you and to keep making disciples. Life is short, short, it's short, but life is short and eternity is too long to live this one life that we have for ourselves. Let's lead others to the understanding that Jesus is coming back and they need to know him. All right, so that's the first section that Jude encourages us with, our inward life. Now let's look how the gospel impacts our outward life. Look at verse 22 with me. It says, and have mercy on those who, who doubt. Now, I love this because Jude is not saying that, you know, well, the gospel, this pie in the sky, happy idea that's detached from reality, it doesn't really work in the real world. The gospel is good news for those that struggle. Because man, if anyone tells you that this life is easy, I don't know. (laughs) My experience has been that it's hard, but it is so worth it. It is so worth it. And in fact, you may be struggling today going, am I the only one? Am I the only one that that finds this difficult? Am I the only one that has questions or doubts or insecurities about my faith? You are not the only one. In fact, Jude, he assumes that there are going to be those inside the church that doubt. And he tells us the way that we should handle them. He says, have mercy. That's another word for compassion. That we shouldn't look at them and see doubt as weakness and look down and go, I can't believe. Come on, get it together. Haven't, Haven't you been listening to, you know, the podcast or whatever it may be, but to to encourage them to come alongside them as Galatians 2 would call us to bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ imagine if we loved each other that way as a community if we showed mercy and compassion to one another as Jude encourages us to do imagine the effect it would have not only on our church but outsiders that are looking in going man those christians are a bunch of self-righteous jerks that are only interested in their own agenda and man they're the ones that they pick off their own and man, if we can encourage, if we could come alongside, if we could say we're in this together, let's talk about it. You know, as someone who has doubted in my Christian life at various points in my life, let me just give you a few encouragements that um, have helped me. I would say when it comes to your doubts, I would say doubt your doubts. Doubt your doubts. Just because you may have a question about something related to the gospel or the Christian faith or the Bible, doesn't mean that doubt should be given full, unchallenged access to your heart and mind. Question it. Question the validity of your doubt. Doubt your doubts. And maybe these doubts aren't as powerful as you're giving them credit because it can be a scary thing. I'm not saying that you shouldn't seek out answers and resolve your doubts, but also don't freak out that you have questions. Secondly, I would say process your questions and doubts within a community of believers who can come alongside you. I'm so thankful for people in my life that I've been able to have real honest conversations with and the counsel they gave me, but also just their willingness to listen and affirm what I was feeling. You know, if I was to share my doubt and then a Christian looked at me and like, oh yeah, yeah, I had that doubt when I was like, you know, young. Uh, Yeah, you'll get there, buddy. You know, I I don't think that's the way it is. You know, I, I think in our world where arguments and and, and assaults on our faith are streaming constantly. We need to seek out community. We need to seek out other brothers and sisters in Christ who we can lean on and we can almost go on their faith for a time as we're searching and as we're seeking God and as we're crying out to him. Doubt is not weakness. Instead, we need to show how the gospel is good news even for those that doubt. Let me take Jude as an example. Talk about a doubter. Jude is the brother of James. They're both the half brothers of Jesus. You see, they grew up with Jesus. They were around the Messiah. They were around the Son of God most of their life. They were in proximity to Jesus, but it wasn't until Jesus rose from the dead that they saw he is our savior and they gave their lives to him. I just think it's beautiful that that Jesus allowed them to be in proximity to him, did not reject them but he was able to draw them in as they saw the true Jesus. And maybe that's you today. Maybe you've just gotten here and maybe you've stumbled upon this video and you're checking out this whole Christianity thing. What does it have to offer? I just want you to know you're welcome. Maybe you're like Jude. You're wanting to be in proximity to Jesus. You're wanting to just kind of see and and check this out before you commit your life to him. My hope is that you'll find him. My hope is that you'll see the goodness of God, but I want you to know that you're welcome. Number three, consider that just maybe some of your doubts or questions about the scriptures or about Christianity are a product of your cultural bias and perspective. And you may need to readjust or lay down that framework and instead just come to the Bible and allow it to speak for itself. Just maybe, if you can, come to the scriptures and ask the God of the scriptures to speak to you, to reveal himself to you. And I believe he will. So it says, compassion on those that doubt. But then notice there are two other groups that appears that Jude's wanting to instruct us in about when it comes to our our outward witness. He says, save others by snatching them out of the fire. To others, show mercy with fear, hating even the garment stained by the flesh. You see, it appears that there are those not only in the family of God, but outside the family of God that we need to be pursuing, that we need to be going after. Jude exhorts us to snatch them from the fire and to save them. A few weeks ago, when it was a little bit warmer in our area, um, my two and a half year old, he was playing outside. We had the sliding door open and we were kind of all going in and out, but our, our, our son was playing in the backyard. And, and then all of a sudden, Brie and I, my wife, we heard crew just start crying. And as a parent, you know, you, you get to know the different cries of your kids, right? So, you know, there's the cry that's like, I don't like what's going on. I'm not getting my way. This stinks. You know, as a parent, you respond a little bit slower to that one. You're like, all right, here we go. We're going to have that conversation again. Let's do this. Discipleship moment. But then there's the other cries where it's, uh, it's like you drop everything and you just run because you know they're in pain, they're scared, or something bad's going to happen. And so sure enough, we hear that kind of cry from crew. And so we run in the backyard and my wife um, she just goes into mom mode, and it's just, it's, it's incredible to watch her, you know, because I'm getting up, and, and then she's running. I'm like, oh, yeah, I should be running faster, and so, you know, she gets to crew before me, and, and she just right away just has that intuition. She sees the problem, Crew's got a little spider on him. She goes, she just brushes it off. She picks him up, she holds him and she brings him inside. And I'm just like, what's going on? Yeah, can I help? You know, I just feel like, who am I? You know, what am I doing? I'm just an extra. And and Bree's going, it was a spider. I got to make sure he didn't get bit, you know, and I'm like, oh man. So, you know, I do the thing that, um, you know, maybe most dads would do. My mind goes to the spider. I'm going to find that spider and kill it. And so that's what I did. I ended up, you know, grabbing the spider and I brought m- my older son, Cannon, over with me. And I'm like, here's what it means to be a dad. You know, you destroy the things that are going to hurt your kids. <laughs> and, uh, and so we did that. We took care of it. It's all good. And then I went inside and, you know, um, Brie told me, she said, okay, he didn't get bit. I asked him and uh, I said, you know, did, did, the, did the spider bite you? And he says, no, it was quawing on me. <laughs> So poor crew was just so scared because there was a spider crawling on him and he didn't know what to do. And so Bree came in, she snatched him up. She diagnosed the problem, she flicked it off and she realized, man, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to help you with this. And I, I just had that in my mind as, as Jude is telling us to save others by snatching them from the fire you know, to run there, to just say, no, I'm, I'm gonna, you can't save yourself right now. Like I'm gonna help you here. I'm gonna, I know the problem. I know, I know the way you're living and I'm gonna come in and I'm gonna get you and God's gonna use me to take you out of here before you can go into that fire. And that's what we need to have as a heart for people in those kind of situations, approach them with boldness and sincerity and honesty, but with humility. And Jude would add with fear, knowing that we aren't superior because we're saved. It doesn't mean that, you know, look at me, I've found the light. Man, the light found us. And we just want to show others that light. But we may need to do it with boldness, with tenacity. Before we move into our last section of our upward life, I think it's important to note here that you did include our outward witness. You know, a gospel-shaped life is a life that's not just concerned with one's own spiritual welfare. But like Jesus, we're wanting to see others find and experience the goodness of God in their life. How would you, here's a question, how would God have this exhortation regarding our outward witness impact the relationships that you have this week. I encourage you to pray about that. Lastly, we're encouraged in our upward life. Notice in verse 24, Jude says, now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy, to the only God, our savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory majesty, dominion, and authority before all time, now and forever. Amen. Jude closes with with a beautiful doxology. Remember the context of this letter is there were false teachers that were denying who Jesus was. So Jude decides, I'm going to close out by reminding my readers the greatness of Jesus so that they can just be captivated once again in the true Jesus it's as if he's saying, man, if you catch sight of the grandeur and glory of Christ, you won't be led astray. That's what you need to do. Focus on Jesus. If you do that, you won't have to worry about settling for lesser things. If you fix your affections and attention upon him, everything else will fall into place. And that's what he does for us in this closing section. He starts by saying, now to him who is able. I love that phrase. Maybe it's because I was a child of the 80s and, you know, growing up in a Christian home, we had that Maranatha Praise Band 6 or 7 or 20, you know, cassette tape. And uh, we would play that in our Toyota Corolla as we were driving to and from different places. And confession, I love that song. I, I still love that song. I mean, it's got, um, clearly uh, it is born out of the 80s, but man, <laughs> there's something so powerful. You know, the one I'm talking about, he is able more than able to do much more than I could ever dream He is able more than, I won't sing it. uh, Brenton's gonna close uh, with it in a few minutes, but just kidding. But you know, I think there's something so beautiful that statement, and I think for 2020, how many times have we had to just return to that statement, he is able, he is able. Because I think what 2020 has showed us is there is no man who is able to answer the problems of our day. But we're reminded that God is able. Jude says, he is able to keep you from stumbling, to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. Now, Jude's not writing here about the possibility of the believer sinning and falling from God's family. That's not. We've already talked about uh, in verse one, remember that we are kept in Jesus. Instead, he's writing about the believer's daily experience and walk with the Lord and the danger of going astray and stumbling. He's saying, Christ is able to keep you from stumbling, In a way, he's saying, do you think that Christ would go through such great lengths to die for you, to rise again, to forgive you, to save you, redeem you, to sanctify you, just so you would be left to live a life of perpetually falling and failing in sin? He's saying, don't believe it. No, he is able. Christ is the good news of the gospel because we can trust him and his spirit's work in our life. Now, to know I'm not going to be sinless, but through Christ's power and grace, I can sin less because he's freed me from the bondage of sin and the life of selfishness I was living. Remember, this is the new identity that the gospel gives us. So when your old identity tries to pop up and you're discouraged and you doubt whether this Christian life is even possible, know that it is because he's able to keep you. Verse 25, to the only God, our savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time, now and forever. Amen. Friends, this is our Savior. This is who we are to look to. You know, the other day we were talking uh, to our seven-year-old, and, you know, it was one of those moments where I was trying to share something with him. You know, you have those those parent moments where, okay, this is a moment, you know, training moment, discipleship moment. And so I shared the thing and I noticed that Canon was paying attention to something else, and he was, you know, looking at something else, and he wasn't looking at me, and so. You know, I, I decided to, to kind of test him, and I said, "Hey, buddy, um, I notice you're distracted. Uh, what did Daddy say?" And my wife was there, and he proceeded to basically recite everything that I had just told him. <laughs> I'm like, I thought this was supposed to work, you know. And Bree just looked at me like, <laughs> "Like, nice try," but. <laughs> and so I said, "Okay, buddy, yes." somehow you've mastered the art of, you know, thinking, you know, or looking at one thing, but hearing another. And uh, can you tell me how to do that? <laughs> um, but, but I said, hey, buddy, you know, here's the thing. Like when daddy's talking to you, like, I want your attention. I want your full attention. And he's like, okay, yeah, totally. And, um, and I feel like I'm like canon sometimes, you know, like, yeah, God, I hear you. Like, I, I know the gospel, but I'm distracted by this thing. It's not that I've forgotten it. It's not that I don't know it, but I'm, I'm distracted with something else. I feel like, you know, what we need to do is kind of flip that. We need to be distracted by Jesus so that we know everything maybe that's going on. Like we hear it. We know the news, you know, kind of a thing. But man, we're so distracted by Jesus when that thing calls us and is like, hey, you don't have my focus. You don't have my attention. It's like, yeah, no, I, I don't. I, I heard you but I'm focused on someone else. I'm focused on Jesus. With everything going on around us, let's be distracted by him. Let's be caught up in his glory. Let's be so enamored with his goodness, with his grace, with his beauty, that man, everything else just kind of goes by the wayside. All the other things that are flying at us in our culture, all the competing ideas and voices and ideologies, we can look and say, man, despite the greatness of the things around us, God is greater still and he wins. So friends, my hope and my prayer is that the good news of the gospel would shape us in our inward lives, would shape us in our outward witness, and would shape us in our upward life and our worship to God. Let's pray that he does this. God, thank you for your greatness. Jesus, thank you for your beauty. Thank you for the good news of your gospel that has brought us into your family. And Lord, as brothers and sisters in Christ, I pray that we would just continue to build ourselves up on our most holy faith. We look forward to that day, Lord, when you return. But in the meantime, God, I pray that we would look to those and have compassion and mercy on those that doubt and those that that, Lord, you have called us to reach out and to grab and to pull in. Do this, God, by your grace, knowing, Lord, you are the one that keep us. You are the one that are gonna present us faultless and blameless before your presence. So thank you, Jesus. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening. If you would like more teachings and information about Calvary Monterey, please visit calvary.com. You can also find books, teachings through the Bible, and articles from our lead pastor at nateholdridge.com. Thanks again for tuning in. See you next week.